everyone, this is Jessica Stewart, and you are listening to the My Modern Met Top Artist Podcast, where we spend about 30 minutes going in-depth with some of today's top creatives. If you're a dog lover, you may already be familiar with the work of our next guest. Photographer Sophie Gamond is known for her extraordinary photographs of animals, specifically rescue dogs. Her series Pitbull Flower Power caused a sensation by showing off misunderstood pit bulls in a new light. By placing flower crowns on the heads of these dogs, she shows an alternate sweet side of a breed that has been badly stereotyped. But Sophie's work goes well beyond this acclaimed series. Her work as an animal activist brings her into shelters, where she works pro bono to ensure that rescue dogs have portraits that will highlight their personalities and get them into loving homes. I had the chance to chat with Sophie about her love for animals and how she started on her current path. We also talk about her own misconception of pit bulls and how pit bull flower power helped her see them in a new light. And we'll delve into her intense experience visiting dog meat farms in South Korea as part of a new project she's working on with Humane Society International. Be forewarned, that part of the interview touches on some important but potentially triggering topics. So let's get started and dive into our chat with photographer Sophie Gamond. We're here with Sophie Gamon on the Top Artist Podcast. Sophie, we're happy to have you here. How are you doing? Great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you guys today. We have history. I know. Well, yeah, we've been featuring your work for, for quite a long time. So excited to get to chat with you and pick your brain. And me personally, I'm very excited. I have three dogs, uh, all adopted, and I'm oh, wow. a big animal lover, grew up with dogs. So I am oh, wow. very curious to hear about your work and more what, what you're doing. What about you? Did you grow up with animals? Did you have experience with dogs as a child? Yeah, we had family dogs, you know, which were not my dogs. Sure. So it's a little different. Um, my my animal, my pet was a bunny and I loved her so much. And she wow. lived for 10 years and she truly was my best friend. And I, I wanted to be a vet. I collected a lot of different pets, snails, mice, rats, guinea pigs. Like I had a little bit of every, fro- a frog once. Like I just, anything that I felt I could get Aww. love from. So I will say the animals <laughs> have long been a part of your of your life. Yeah, they were my safe place growing up for sure. Yeah, I do think that's the nice thing about animals is they're non-judgmental. So if you have a tough day or just whatever, they're always sort of there to, to lift your spirit. Right. When did you start with your photography then? Uh, I think like the earliest memory I have is when I was 10, I, I basically saved a little bit of money I had and I bought a little Kodak Ectralight, which was the super slim, hot pink camera. Ah, yes. And, uh, yeah, I really just started taking photos of, uh, our pets and, uh, portraiture was always at the heart of my photography work. Uh, then I stopped and I guess I, I picked it up in high school a little bit. I did black and white uh, analog. So I developed my own photos for a little while and also it was portraiture, a lot of it. And then I kind of uh, stopped until I was in my mid-20s and I discovered DSLRs, Photoshop and the world of digital manipulation. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Right. You know, <laughs> the possibilities are endless, which was almost too much, but I basically self-taught myself everything and it just snowballed. It's only when I moved to the U.S. 10 years ago that photography became uh, my everyday practice and my career, basically. Wow. And then at the same time, you're doing a lot, have a lot of involvement with animal shelters and volunteering. And so I'm curious as to how that started, just you, one what was your first contact with the shelter? And then how did that develop into something artistic? Right. So I guess I, you know, I always had a, 
a soft spot for the underdog and figuratively <laughs> and not, you know, yeah. at school, I would become friends with the kids that nobody liked, you know, I'm, I always had that soft spot for uh, people and animals who are vulnerable and need an extra hand, help. And uh, after I moved to New York, um, I basically started photographing dogs as a way to get acquainted with my new life. It kind of happened naturally. I was trying to do street photography, but I realized, wow, I always pointing my lens towards dogs. That's weird. That's so, a niche, street <laughs> dog photography. Right, exactly. It was, it was just like a, a safe place again, you know, for me. And it was a way to create intimacy without having to interact with humans as much, which terrified me. My English wasn't great. Uh, everything was new and, and scary. Um, so one day I pushed the door of a vet clinic and I asked if I could take photos there. Uh, I was very interested in basically photographing the interactions between the doctors and the animals, which I thought was like such an unnatural thing for these dogs. Yeah. Uh, they, were, they were scared and they were trying to be good boys and good girls, you know, but it was so scary and the smells. And so I did a whole series at the vet clinic. I spent about four years. I became very friendly with the owners and they grant me access to surgeries. And like, it was the weirdest experience because I basically just, you know, opened the door and said, can I take photos here? And they were like, who are you? What do you want? So it's at the vet clinic that I discovered the world of dog rescue, which I knew of shelters, but uh, here in the US, you know, the problems is about 30 times worse than it is in Europe uh, in, in terms of the numbers of uh, animals who are in shelters per capita. Mm. Uh, the, the, the numbers here are absolutely insane. So mm. I, I started discovering that world and I was like, wow, like I need to be a part of the solution. Like I need to land whatever I have available. And all I had was my camera. I didn't have any money. I didn't speak English well enough. I didn't know how to be with people. Like I'm completely antisocial. But I figured, you know, what I know is to take photos of dogs. I know how to do this and I can improve myself. So I just started, you know, like that one dog, one rescue, and it just snowballed into a, a full-time job basically over the years. Well, I imagine the shelters must be so grateful because when they're trying to get these dogs a home, obviously when you're a volunteer and you work in the shelter, you get to know the animals, you know their personalities and their quirks, but most people are just seeing a picture online. And so it's kind of like Tinder, swipe right, swipe swipe right. left, you know, the dogs that are <laughs> more yeah. photogenic and look cute, even if they're full of problems, that picture's cute, so people are coming for them. And there I, might be you know, another dog yeah. who doesn't, quote unquote, look cute, or, you know, they often say black dogs are harder to adopt and things like that. So how, how do you think your photography helped those dogs? Yeah, so it's funny, because at first, like, shelters were actually very suspicious of my motives. And, uh, you know, 10 years ago, it was really not a popular thing to do to take photos, like professional portraits. So I actually had a lot of closed doors at first. And it was mm. kind of demoralizing, because I, you know, I came with an open heart, like, yay, I'm gonna help you, it's gonna be amazing. And they were like, No, we don't want you. So it took a <laughs> a little while until I met a rescuer who was like, yeah, of course, come with me, you know, and she rescued in Puerto Rico. So my first uh, experience was actually rescuing dogs physically from wow. really horrible conditions. And the very, very first dog I photographed was a little stray dog on the beach in Puerto Rico. And he died in front of my lens as I literally have his last breath on, on my on a photo he looked straight into my lens and he took his last breath and he died and that was my first real life interaction and experience with a rescue dog and that really it was a baptism by fire honestly sure uh that really kind of set me on that trajectory 
of you know the the absurdity of all these lives that are either discarded in the street or just hidden away in cages and just wasting away and so Yes, the shelter were a little suspicious at first, and then I, get, I kept going until I, I found a shelter here in New York that was like, of course, we would love you. And then um, that's where I really grew my wings as a you know shelter dog photographer. And I'm super grateful for them. I still work with them um, all the time. And um, very quickly, I realized like my goal was really to change the way we saw shelter dogs because back then still there was a lot of and there's still a lot of stigma around shelter dogs people think they're oh well there was a reason why they were abundant mm -hmm. they're sick they're old they have behavioral issues whatever is going on and it's so far from the truth the majority of animals who are in shelters are there because the humans uh you know were going through something illness sure. divorce had to move away lost their job whatever it is and so it's it's really rarely the animals doing and even if it is Sometimes it's such an easy fix, behavioral sure. issues or medical issues, you know. So um, my goal was really to, to show them as ready to move in. And when you say Tinder, it's a little bit that. Yeah, I wanted to create portraits that were exciting and loving to really show the personality of the dogs. And so often, you know, even if the bios or even the shelter, like you said, knew their dogs and thought they were amazing, um, if you don't have that image to grab somebody's attention, you're really missing out on a big opportunity right. because there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of animals waiting in shelters in the U.S. alone. And people who want to adopt were basically browsing pages and pages and pages of adoptable animals. Like, where do you even begin? And so I thought, you know, if you have a couple of photos here and there that just kind of catch your attention, that's already a big win for that animal. So at first, yeah, I just wasn't sure it was going to make a difference. And, you know, my photos would get one or two likes on social media. And I was mm -hmm. like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> and now all these years in, it's in amazing. I actually get a lot of dogs adopted through my social media and the photos. And so it's, yeah, it's crazy to think the possibility. I was actually looking at your Instagram before we started chatting and saw some of the updates that you, you post about the dog yeah. being photographed and got adopted. I mean, that must be incredibly rewarding to see these animals and go on to have a nice life. I'm trying to focus on those, but it's hard because I always think about the ones that still need help. Sure. But I think for me also, it's super important to share the stories because it shows people, it normalizes the adoption process. It normalizes these dogs that at the shelter, like for example, one of the latest one I posted waited seven years. Right. And I photographed him four years ago and... And then a few weeks ago, I saw an updated portrait of him and he had aged and he had white fur on his face. And I was like, wow, this dog has waited seven years, a lifetime in a cage in the shelter. So I posted the before and after and somebody saw that and ended up adopting him. And this dog is cat friendly. He's amazing mm -hmm. and he's loving and they snuggle, they sleep in bed together and he grooms the cats. And like, it's <laughs> so amazing to me to think, People overlooked that dog for seven years and right. he has so much to offer. And so to normalize these dogs, I think is super important. When you take these photos, what are your techniques for capturing that personality or sort of drawing out a little bit about them? Right. I think, you know, my first trick is that I don't actually get comfortable with them. I don't get to know them. I don't 
touch them unless, you know, that's the first thing they want when they enter the room and they're like, go on my lap, then yes, I might give in a little bit. But usually I keep my distance with them because I don't want them to know much about me, except this is a safe space. So I want to create a space that's comfortable for them, but I don't want us to be buddies. Um, and then I just want to pique their curiosity by making a little sound or ruffling something in my bag or something. I, I don't, I use squeakers a little bit, like quick, 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 you know, loud noises, but not, it's pretty rare. Like I only do that when I know the dog responds to it. So it's about kind of bringing out those moments where they're like, whoa, who are you? What do you want? Oh, wow, that was, that was fun. Ooh, that was a little weird. What was that? You know, like this kind of reaction right. is what I'm looking for because that's where their true essence comes through. And I mean, working with live animals certainly isn't easy. You know, there's that old saying, animal, live animals and babies make the most difficult uh, people to work with. So <laughs> what, what's the most challenging part of these photo shoots? Huh. Well, that's interesting. You know, I, I always describe it as, I mean, I've never had kids myself, but from what I hear, you know, when you deliver a baby, you're like, oh my God, I'll never do this again. This is horrible. And then <laughs> as soon as the baby is in your arms, you're like, oh, I can't wait to have another one and experience this beautiful moment. <laughs> I feel like my photo shoots are very much like this. <laughs> like, I like during the shoot, I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? Like, <laughs> this is really challenging. Um, but once I'm home and I look at the photos, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to go back. Like, it is really that element. I think I forget uh, how difficult these shoots are. And each time I go back, I'm like, huh, yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> uh, people often comment, people who see the shoots often comment that they're like, wow, you're so patient. And I'm, I'm, I'm such an impatient person, generally speaking, in life. So it's weird. I think I'm really driven by the magical moment that happens when the dog understands what I want. And I've managed to communicate with the dog in, in a very efficient way. And suddenly it's like a dance. Mm -hmm. we, we take the steps together and then I click and I know I got the photo that is going to connect that dog to an adopter. Like that moment, the dog knows it. I know it. Like it's like we breathe together. You know, we hold our breath and then I click away and then ah, we release. And there's that magical communion that happens. And that's really, I think, the most exciting part of, of the whole process for me. Uh, the most challenging is probably the dogs who are super shut down. And right. no matter how reassuring you try to be, it's going to take way more for them. Um, and I don't have time because at the shelter, I try to work really fast. Right. Well, just talking a little bit more about your advocacy work, because I know besides photographing shelter animals, you're doing a lot of other things. You, you'd mentioned to me before we started chatting, that you had made a visit to a dog meat farm in South Korea as part of an upcoming project, which um, I can't even imagine what sort of experience that was. What can you tell us about the experience uh, you had there? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was, yeah, very intense. I was only there yeah. for two or three days, so I, I flew all the way to South Korea. So it was already a shock to the system, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, I forgot how many hours, but like, I, I, yeah, I forgot, 18 hours flight maybe or something, I forgot. So you arrive and you're already loopy, and then we drove to that dog meat farm, and it was so hot. I was there, I believe, mm. in August. So it was, I mean, I did not expect it to be so hot. So it was very, very hot, and it was a little farm, uh, basically, it's most it's a lot of elevated cages. So it's a wire cage, and then there's a dog in there. So they don't they they don't really have anything to put their paws. You know, like this, it's never comfortable for them. Right. And then underneath those cages, a pile of dog shit that 
like you can literally count I'm sorry, it's like a TMI, but you can literally count the poops if you want to. And for me, that photo, that image was really the symbol of the, the life. Mm. It's, like a, it's like an hourglass type of thing. You have the dog above in the cage and then you have the poops that are coming every day. And it's like, wow, these dogs have been there for months, years. And that was one of the most like um, intense visual that I got out of the experience. Um, so physically, like somebody fainted on the farm because it was that hot. Like I had never sweated that much. And I was carrying a lot of gear because I brought a, a flash and um, on, the, on, the, on the stand, you know, I was like, whoa, <laughs> a lot of heavy camera and lenses. And it was a lot physically. Um, one thing that surprised me is that it was not as horrible as I thought it would be. Uh, the shelter where my dog comes from was way worse because dogs were mm. dying. Like I would look around and the dogs were dying. I literally, you know like laying in that cage dying. These, um, it was really sad and intense, uh, but they were actually fairly well taken care of. The farmer was younger. He was like early 40, in the 40s. Mm. And uh, I was told by Human Society International, uh, which is the organization I work with on this project, I was told that this was not their typical farm. Usually they're much older farmers and they were rougher with the animals. So in a way, like I was spared, I think a lot of like the real hard reality of these farms. Right. Um, so he would pet some of these dogs and he would put iced bottles with the puppies so they would stay cool. He had tops to protect them from the sun. It was like weird. Hmm. I do wonder in some way if they let you see that farm because that was more, quote unquote, more acceptable. No, no, no. Because the way the, the project works is that uh, HSI basically identifies farms and farmers that they can work with that are willing to shut down their farm and turn into a humane business. So basically it takes months or years sometimes. Sure. They talk with the farmer until the farmer agrees to let them come in and then they visit the farm and then they say, okay, do you agree to shut this down? We'll rescue all the dogs, get them adopted, and then we'll support you in setting up a new business that will not involve animals. Uh, so it's a very long process. So they knew they were going to work on that farm way before I came into the picture. Um, the farmers are basically farmers who don't want that life anymore and for whatever reason. And so they're, they're ready to make that shift. Um, that One of the reasons, so I interviewed the farmer because I was like, I need to understand why he's petting some of the dogs. And he had named some of the dogs. Like he would talk mm. to them. And I was like, that is so weird. And I think in my naive, like romantic mind, I was like, oh, I wonder what this is all about. Maybe he cares. And And so the next day when we went back, I interviewed him. And I was like, so why did you name some of these dogs? Why are you petting this one? What do you love about this dog? And he said, oh, yeah, it's because I fight them. Mm. And suddenly I realized he was also a dog fighter. Mm. And he had only named the dogs who were his prized possession because they fought and there was something in it for him. And the relationship, he was very proud of them and he loved them. And the relationship was just this, which I've seen in the dog fighting culture a lot, where these guys love their dogs, but for right. the wrong reasons. You know, the way right. a billionaire loves his trophy wife, or, you know, yeah. because it serves a purpose and because it makes them feel strong and proud or whatever. So it shattered my whole, like, wow, this romantic dream I had 
you know, the day before, like, oh my God, I wonder what this is well, about. Well, you wanted to believe the best in someone who wasn't right. doing something great and unfortunately doesn't always work out that way. It um, was, yeah. So th- it was very hard to talk about what happened on the dog farm because it, there were so many layers. It was, it was not what I had anticipated or expected. Um, but yeah, again, it took me to that place of, wow, these dogs are just wasting away, waiting to be you know, tortured and killed for their meat. But there's a lot of, so the reason why I love working on this project and uh, HSI and I are working on a big campaign to promote dog meat dogs as adoptable and as pet companions as opposed to food. So it's going to be a series of portraits. It's going to be similar to what I did with Pitbull Flower Power. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the idea is to work with local animal advocate in South Korea. It's not like you know, Americans mm-hmm. coming in and we're going to save your dogs and you guys need to stop doing these bad things. You know, it's, it's, we work hand in hand with local animal advocates. It's a work that they've been doing on the ground for a long time. And right. we just want to add a little support uh, with this campaign, which hopefully is going to be, you know, um, disseminated in South Korea and just have people stop and look at these dogs. And same, hopefully, similarly to what I did with Pitbulls, look at these photos and be like, oh, wow, I never thought of these dogs as soulful, as companions, as, you know, because the dog meat is usually, it's often a couple of breeds that are very popular for the the meat. Um, But there are certain breeds like the Tosa, the Jindos that are very dog meat, that have the dog meat look like for people. So those are the ones that I'm excited to rebrand and just see like if people can be like, oh, wow, I never thought of this. Right. That uh, this dog could be more than just a piece of meat on my plate. And listen, when I talk about the dog meat trade, um, if you have vegan yeah. listeners now, I know they are triggers like triggered like crazy. And you know, I it's a very difficult conversation to have because the first reaction of people who feel so strongly about farm animals here are like, Wow, but look at what we do here and and I understand that. Uh, I understand that there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I'm not saying dog meat, you know, fight is more important than the vegan fight and all that. Yeah. To me, it works hand in hand. If we can make people care about pets, dogs, it's a very small step towards caring for cows and pigs and all the other animals. And so I think it all works together and we have to celebrate every little win. Well, and you you are doing a great thing and doing what you can with your skills in your your niche to make a difference in my niche right Uh, (laughs) no pun intended but yeah (laughs) sort of to wrap things up where do you hope the future goes with the animal activism that you do and and how do you see yourself uh being inserted more and more in in the conversation of, of animal activism in general it's interesting because i always thought that my work was about like human advocacy not just animals I see my work as more than just for the animals. It's also about the human stories behind these animals, Um, especially in the rescue community. You know, the dog has a past. So what happened with the owners? And then the dog is rescued by someone. What motivates them? And then the adopters, what motivates them? So for me, it's it's, uh, equally about the animal and the humans. So I'm actually hoping that in the future, I will be able to integrate more of the human stories into my work. Uh, That's something I'm excited about. Um, I want to continue animal advocacy, of course, as much as I can. But that that link to the human world is something that really 
uh, titillates me. I, I hope I get to do that. Mm -hmm. So I have a few projects in mind that I would love to start working on. I've been they've been on the back burner for years because Pitbull Flower Power got so big and popular. Like I've literally been doing this for six years, you know, crowning Pitbulls. <laughs> I've done like 450 <laughs> portraits around the country. Wow. And yeah, I've traveled a lot. I, I did the coffee table book. Like so, it's really the heart of my business and brand. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited to work on other things and. Yeah, I have so many ideas and things I want to do. It's just that there's not enough time. Well, we're super excited to see what you have coming up. And it, yeah, it would be really fascinating to see a series about animals with their humans and, you know, that, that relationship, because it is such a unique bond. And also looking forward to seeing imagery from South Korea, which may not be easy to look at, but I think it's super important. It's important for people to understand and actually see what's happening out there and then make their own decisions. So thank you so much for, for staying with us and having a chat with us. Oh, thank you. So first, I just want to say in 2013, I had a series called Wet Dog, and this is yes. how we met, yes. uh, I mean, met virtually. Uh, and I just want to give you guys such a big shout out. You changed Aww. my life. You were the Aww. first people, the first blog or website to share my work. And uh, you did it in such a supportive and beautiful way. And, and it really changed Aww. the trajectory of my career. I was broke. I was nobody. And I had nothing except my dog photos. And I was like, who's going to want this? <laughs> and I just emailed you. And you were like, oh, we're on it. We love this. And then an hour later, it was up. And it just snowballed from there in, in such magical ways. Wow. So That's great to hear. I mean, we love spotlighting talent, positive talent, inspiring talent, and you're definitely all of those things. So it's just been great to see how it's oh, thank you. grown from there. Yeah, no, you, you guys do so much for the artist community. So thank you. And so if people want to follow and, and, you know, my work, um, I have a website, which is my first and last name, sophiegammond.com. And my Instagram yep. and Facebook are Makes also at sophiegammond. Everything is at Sophie Gammon. Yes. I also have a Patreon for those who are familiar with that and like this. Uh, it's been great. Although 2020, of course, I haven't been able to travel to shelters, but I do all my work pro bono for shelters. So when I travel mm -hmm. somewhere, I cover all my expenses and um, the retouching, everything. It takes weeks basically to, you know, complete for a project for one shelter. So Patreon has been a great way for me to have this little security yeah. that I know you know, the, the basics are covered. So, um, I, yeah, it's a great way to support my work. And I also sell a bunch of merchandise. I have books, calendars, um, and prints, you know, so it's always a great way to support the work. Great. And we'll put the links to all of that in the description so people can find all of your stuff. Yeah. You have some cool. great merchandise and Patreon is a great way to support <laughs> you if you know, people are interested in, in learning and figuring out how they can help. So, Thank you so much and hope we get to speak again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks again for tuning into the My Modern Met Top Artist Podcast. You'll find all the links to follow Sophie's work in the description and can check out some of her photography on Instagram at Top Artist Podcast. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe via Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you won't miss a new episode. If you like what you heard, we'd also greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a rating and review. This way, more people can discover the podcast. And to get your daily fix of art and culture, don't forget to check out mymodernmet.com. See you next time.